Well, if you want to know, somebody stole my backpack. My kids are all upset. I had to deal with insurance. And then I realized the guy's like, okay. <laughs> now, I have taken measures towards this, right? Because when I go to Starbucks, my Starbucks name is John with an H. Because I don't want them to ask. And then I explain to them, I grew up in a communist country. That's why my parents didn't know I was going to come to America, so they gave me a girl's name. Because you know, as soon as you say I grew up in Albania, these guys are somewhere else. Okay? Something I still struggle with. Or I was walking by the pond of where I work. Um, I'm walking around, and this guy from like across, he's like, I like those shoes, man. Okay. Like, do you want them? <laughs> I mean, I, they were on sale. So these are the shoes, by the way. Very nice. All right, see? I'm not giving them to you. <laughs> well, obviously, the answer to that is thank you very much, and you move on with your life. But, you know. So some of the things, you know, we haven't really gotten <laughs> used to. Um, and so many times I wonder of the journey that it took us to get here. And the journey that reads kind of like a joke for me being up here today, right? That some of you and me and other people are sitting here today. And it's not the kind of wonder because, you know, we have three boys and sometimes I wonder how the universe conspired for me to stand with a plunger and a train that the kids flushed down the toilet. Not that kind of wonder. How did they stick this thing in here? Why do I have to pull out the whole toilet? I don't know. No, actually, the journey is of how I find myself here. So today, I think I want to take you on this little journey because it could have two endings. And it did have a different ending. But I think for us standing here today is a call for our story to branch out maybe differently than where it is right now where you think it's going. And my story starts somewhere in the 1940s. Now, that's not when I was born. Um, but it starts back in a small country uh, by the name of Albania. All right, there we go. Um, where the language spoken... Sorry, I missed it. It's okay, good. <laughs> where the language spoken is Albanian, if you're wondering. Because people ask that. And it is not in Africa. It's north of Greece. Because I've been asked those questions before. So back in the late 40s, people got together and decided that the best way to run that country was to choose a ruling system called communism. Okay? They thought, there's a lot of poor people. There's some people who have all the money. How about we even playing field. Um, well, that there is the result of it. So we'll talk about that in a minute. That is 1991. Within 20 years, the world as people knew had completely transformed. They declared their country the first country that had eradicated God. 
They sent out the youth in the streets to burn and destroy every single church, mosque, or religious object that there was. They started imprisoning all the priests. They started imprisoning all the nuns. They started making sure that religion disappeared. As a matter of fact, there's this story, um, and if some of you didn't know, Mother Teresa was born in what is today modern Albania. So she went to school there in some monasteries. And one of her friends, Mother Teresa, left in the 50s. Her friend was left behind. And the hatred that this regime had for anything religious caused this lady to be put in a big sack with a feral cat, and they beat the cat until she died, clawed to death. They made sure every word of religion was gone, every word of God, any view of God, to where when I grew up, I didn't know what this stuff was. Then they went after every individual. If you had a name that was a foreign-sounding name, you had to change it. If you had anything that was your property, you had to give it away. And you had to trust now what became God, which was the Communist Party. And you had to trust the leader who replaced Jesus, that they'll take care of you. So... In another 10 years from that, everybody that had started this great revolution to even the playing field was dead because their friends killed them. And in another 10 years, they created the most isolated country in the world. It was forbidden by law to practice any sort of religion. And you'd end up in prison. It was forbidden by law to say anything bad about the government. And about the leaders. If you had your own ideas, you'd end up in prison. If you complained there was no food, you'd end up in prison. If you tried to run away, you'd think, well, yeah, run away. I mean, what? Well, if you wouldn't get caught and be killed, your family would be imprisoned. Your mother, your dad, your wife, your children all would go to labor camps for 30 to 50 years. And many of them stayed there until the 90s. So by 1990, you couldn't hear anything from the outside except what you're being told. That the biggest evil, obviously, is America, right? Um, but anything else was horrible. You don't want to be a religious person. You don't be anything else but a good communist and listen to the government. And we were so paranoid that there was a system of spying on people and being paid for spying on people, and that's what gave you credit as a good citizen. And so in the 1990s, when communism fell all around the world, for those of you who remember that, the wall in Berlin fell, that was kind of like the symbol. Albania kind of crumbled as well. And so it found a country with 750,000 bunkers. That was one bunker for every two people in the country. And that was 15 bunkers per square mile. Paranoia 
that others were going to come get us. Found people hungry and with no clothes. As a matter of fact, my first memories are standing in bread lines. Um, and we'd have to spread it out because you'd run out of stuff. Um, and so I remember my mom would leave me at this line where you'd get butter or milk and stuff like that. And she would go to a, a line for kerosene that we used for heating. And it found a country completely destroyed and with no hope. And so my story in this Albanian mess starts actually 1951 when the government decided that the people who spoke foreign language were enemies of the state. And so one night, this van comes, people come up my grandfather's home, knock on the door, put him in the van, and he disappears. And again, I brought proof, because God said they had to check. That actually is a paper that the communist government wrote in 1951 that condemned my grandfather to prison because he was an enemy of the state and because he spoke foreign languages. And because of that, it put our family in this complete chaotic situation of being an outsider and not being accepted by anyone. And so my father growing up, they lived on crumbs and leftovers for their neighbors. He couldn't go to school because he was not a good communist family. He was sent back three times, two or three times, to forced military service because he didn't learn his lesson. I remember growing up, because we were not good communists, and it was written in files that these people are not communists. Um, you'd get presents for New Year's, because Christmas didn't exist, so they made up New Year's. And we have Grandfather New Year, they called it, not Santa, because Santa was too religious. Um, they, people would get good stuff. And because we were not good communists, I couldn't get anything. So you dream of getting like a little bag of apples or oranges. Now, you see I've made up for that now, so I'm good, so don't feel bad. Um, but it started this journey of our family not being accepted anywhere. And we didn't belong anywhere. And I remember for the first five or six years of our life, my mom and us kids would live in her parents' home and my dad would live in his parents' home because the government would not sign off on us getting an apartment. And that continued until the 90s where a Swiss journalist knocks at our door and writes a little article about us. And I don't know if you can find that up there. Finds a family. Um, and I put that in Google Translate. That's why it kind of looks funky because I don't speak German. So it's up there like that. But Google actually put all of the pieces together. Um, it talks about my dad. Who was one of the top IT guys in the country. But he had been relegated up to the mountains because he was not a good communist. So it finds us in complete and object poverty. And it's a long article, but what caught my eyes, and it's not on there, that just kind of shows you where we lived and all that stuff. Um, finds my mom with, with, uh, with glasses that had a crack and we couldn't replace them, so he talks about that. 
But somewhere in the middle of that, my dad talks back to the journalist in this way. He says, everything was in vain, says Sergio Kisteri today. A 46-year-old man who has written off his future for a long time. The only hope is his children. They should be able to study one day, but how? There's just as little paper and books as there are window panes in school buildings. And so forth. Finds our family complete in object poverty. And so, at that point, we're trying to discover who we are as individuals. We're discovering our faith. We're discovering where we belong. My dad was very afraid of going back to the Orthodox church where he grew up. Wouldn't blame him because he was afraid the communists are going to come and put them in prison again and would destroy his family. But my mom had this courage about finding out religion. And so the first thing we do is she grabs me by my hand and takes me to the mosque. Her dad was a custodian back before communist days. So she knew the imam of that mosque. So I go there. He hands me a Quran. said, this is your religion now. And so I start fasting with my mom, learning some of these little prayers in Arabic and all that stuff. And at the same time, this young kid, one of our friends, knocks at our door and says, man, I've seen something interesting. He's like, I know you learned English as a kid. You know, we did learn it hidden. My dad actually had a passion for English because he listened to country music in secret from the Aviano base in Italy of the military forces. And so he would put his ear to the radio and listen to go to old country music and write down the words, and that's how he learned English. So he taught us English from the age of seven. And so this friend of ours comes and says, listen, there's some stuff happening, man. There's some like Americans out there. They're doing something called church. You should come. Now we had been so indoctrinated that my image of a church was of a dark place with a leaky roof and mold in the corners and some ladies in their, I'd say 120 years old, waiting to die. I want to go to that. Are you crazy? And he's like, no, man, it's different. It's different. You have to come. And I was like, fine, we'll go. My mom was instrumental in that, and she believed that, you know, we got to go figure out and at least maybe just practice our English so we have a future. So I show up, and I talked about this in the first service because I don't really know and we talk a lot about how people don't know God and have no idea about Christianity. So I don't know how to put it. The way I put it, and not that I've been on it, but it was like going into an alien ship, spaceship. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. Everything was so foreign. Why are people out there with guitars? Why is there a drum hidden like that? What's going on? Why are people doing this and like doing something called communion? No idea. It was such a foreign concept that it just hit me. And that's when God said, this is where you belong. So I find myself at these two crossroads. So I want you to remember this because we're going to come back. Where I could live my life 
probably as a semi-devout Muslim. But I ended up in a church. There was a crossroad. So I want you to think here with me what would be the determining factor for this life to split like this. After that, um, there was obviously no leaders, church leaders in Albania that killed everybody off. There was no books. I think there was one Bible in Albanian left. That was it. And so the church was full of young people who didn't really know much. And I joked in the first service, I said it was full of Albanian kids and Alabama, missionaries from Alabama. Like, again, it sounds like a joke, right? Um, so I got sent to Bible school. Um, they picked Croatia out of any other place because everybody that sent to America had stayed, obviously. Um, they didn't want to come back. They were trying to figure out their little things with, I like your shoes and stuff. So they sent me to Croatia um, because they thought I would come back, which actually I didn't come back. Um, they told me not to get married, and I did get married. Um, um, and so uh, this is some of God church in Albania. That's where I found myself in. Um, after graduating from Bible school, we ended up in Macedonia. We worked there for a few years, and then we ended up here. So why am I telling you all of this? I know some of you guys like Phil there will say, kids, don't do communism. Communism is bad. True. I could say that's, that's right. You know, my family has suffered for four generations from that, so I could say that. But that's not really the point here today. The point here today is that I found myself at the crossroads following a life like this and being in a life like that, being in a country that had no hope, a country in ruins and a country that nobody really knew existed anywhere in the world and still don't. I find myself here today. And that's only because of one reason. And the reason today is that somebody prayed, gave, and went. Well, there's three reasons, but maybe one concept. Somebody from this area of the world prayed for years for communism to fall in Albania. See, they had plans, they had money, they had resources, and none of them worked. People got imprisoned, killed, trying to get to Albania, share the gospel, or overthrow the regime, whatever. And none of that stuff worked. But the prayer of people for tens and 20, 30 years is what changed that. Number one. And number two is because people were willing to go. See, I never understood what possessed somebody from the Midwest to grab all their stuff and go to Albania, the country that has less people than Denver. What is the dynamics of that? What happens? Why? And the third thing is because people gave. It's very interesting because Pastor Scott referred to that a few, year, a few weeks ago when he talked about how the American church gives, and I truly believe this, that the American church gives, and I'm not saying this from a prosperity gospel type of thing, but the American church is the most giving church in the world. I've seen that. So I'm telling you this today 
Because as I was at the crossroads, you will find, or you are at the crossroads, or we are at the crossroads here today. I'm going to tell you something, but I want you to hear me out, because I'm not saying this to make you feel good today. I'm saying this because it's the truth. And the truth is that each Christian is a destiny maker and a destiny changer. Not saying so you walk out and say, yeah, that's me. I can change destinies. I'm saying that because that's what God uses you for. And the proof that I stand here today is that those believers that spoke to me and asked me to pray the Lord's Prayer, whose names now I don't even remember, were destiny changers. And so as you find yourself here today, I want you to think and envision this. And John Piper has a very interesting sermon. You can go look it up later. It's sometimes in the 2000s. And it's called Seashells, something like that. So he talks about this great American dream that we're taught to try to retire as soon as we can and collect seashells on the shore. And on the other hand, there's two elderly missionaries in their 80s who ministered their whole lives in Africa. And their car went off the road and they died. And so he asked the crowd and he says, which one of these is a tragedy here? The old ladies that died who nobody remembers their name. Or you living your life for yourself. So when you go in front of God... You go up and you say, here, God, here are my seashells I collected from my retirement. Or these two ladies that have all of these people that they shared the gospel with. And whenever I hear these things, for me, it riles up a feeling in me. How do I want to live my life? Here's the thing. If I collect those seashells on the shore, there's no danger. Things are good. Life is good. I have no suffering. I die. Go in front of God, whatever. On the other hand, there's a reality where you go and you sacrifice your family. You give out of what you don't have. And you pray when you don't feel like praying. So, as I stood at that crossroad in the early 1990s and this journalist found us, I'm asking us to examine ourselves and see where we stand here today. What crossroads are we at? And I can tell you that the crossroads of sacrificing missions has a much better reward down the way. And when you stand in front of God, you can say, I change destinies and I change lives. There's a beautiful verse, Romans 10, 13 to 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one that they have not heard? 
And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Where do we stand? What are we thinking our life needs to be? Because again, I'm telling you, this life of missions leads you to be life changers and destiny changers for people. My whole life changed when these guys said, you want to accept the Lord. I stand here because of that and because of those people. And as we look at the final story, as the disciples have seen Jesus crucified, and Jesus said, go over there, wait and I'll tell you what to do. As humans, I think we might have a different plan of how this looks. And this is in Matthew 28, 16 to 20. We are very familiar with this. It's the Great Commission. But so here is, I, if I put myself in the disciples' position, I'm thinking, Jesus, what's the plan, right? The disciples kept asking, who's going to be in charge? Who's going to take what? And Jesus could have told them anything else. He could have said, you're going to be the great guys. This is what's waiting for you. But we find the disciples going to Galilee, verse 16. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And then when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Notice Jesus didn't say, why are you doubting? Here's what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, God's design for us is to be his hands and feet, to go and speak and tell people about him. There's no other plan. So my challenge to us today is to examine our hearts. Where do we stand before God? What is our plan and positioning to be destiny changers and destiny makers in the world? And I know this church supports a lot of missionaries. I know some of them. I've met them. I know that you pray for missionaries. But I'm talking to each one of you as individuals today to examine your hearts and see where you fit. Because there is a lot of challenges and suffering here, but the eternal destiny that you can impact is immense. And so, as I close this today, I'm going to add to something that Pastor Scott always says. He always says, by tomorrow you'll tell someone. But my challenge for you today is by tomorrow you'll tell someone. You'll pray for someone or you'll give to some missions effort so you can change the world. Let's take a minute to pray. Father, we thank you that your heart is for the nations and your heart is for each one of us. And Father, that you see the ones in broken places, in hidden places, that you see the ones that are suffering, that are oppressed, that are forgotten. 
that you see the orphan, the widow, the unborn. And Lord, we ask you today to show us, I ask you today to show me where my place is in all of this. And Lord, that I don't put my trust in this world that tells me a narrative, but I put my trust in you for the eternal purposes that you have called us to. Father, open our hearts today to your desire for us to be sent in the city, in the state, in the nation, in the world. Lord, help us find our place in praying and giving and going this morning so we can look back and say, truly, we were destiny makers and that's how you designed us. Jesus, we ask that you stay with us and you guide us you show us which path to take. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said earlier, I've been in this part of the country, a part of the world that Johan was in. I had soldiers guarding churches to make sure they get blown up. There are no two, and they were still, and we still have soldiers over in this area protecting these things. Some of us have been called to go, and we need to go. We have Logan from our body and many others from our church who have gone on either full missions or have gone mission trips. And as Johan pointed out, the word says, Go and make disciples. Not all of us are called to go, but we're called to do something. We see in Yohan's story, he went from a family who was not good enough, that through God, they found they are good enough. They are worthy. It's because some missionaries from Alabama went to a place called Albania. And follow what God asked him to do. And through that, Yohan's life was touched and transformed. And I will tell you many others there. The freedom that comes from having Christ is like no other freedom. Our freedom here in America is made greater through our freedom in Christ. And as he talked about the fact that you know, America puts more money to missions than anybody else. Send more missionaries out. But there's those of us who can't go or who haven't been called to go and don't think your age limits you from going on missions. Whether it be short term or long term missions. But some of us can't go and the church priority is missions. We have a whole wall out there, and we want to put more out there. Because the goal is for our budget, for 10% of the budget, at minimum, 10% to go to missions. And I'll tell you that as I did the budget this year, we're about 7 8% right now. We need to do more. Right now, the, the missions budget 
is in red every month. Talk to Russell, he'll tell you that. But we make sure that all our missionaries get the funding that we promised them. Because it's more important that we take and put in the missions than we necessarily take care of some things here. Because I, what I have learned in my life is in ministry is that when you give into missions, when the church gives to missions, God blesses that church. I've seen many churches and many other places cut back on missions because we can't afford this, that, and the other. We will add and cut out other things before we cut out missions. And it's just not about financial blessings to the church. It's about many other blessings that the church gets. In a way, the missions is the tithes like you tithe. On your way in, you should have gotten a, a pledge card. And some of you are thinking, well, I, I give my tithe and I'm pledged to give to the building fund. What else can I do? And I will tell you, priority is always your tithe. The next should be missions. We will go out with, without building funding before we go out without missions. And so your toss-up of where I'm going to put my money, I would encourage you to pray about it unless God says something differently. Put your money to missions and then to anything else that God directs. Because lives can be changed. And what's great about Yohan speaking today is he's the evidence for you who have wondered what happens out on the missions field, I haven't seen the result. Look at Johan and his family. They are results of what you've given to missions. Living, breathing, and part of our body. So we're going to take a moment and we're going to pray. And if you're able to answer the question of pledging, I encourage you to fill this out. We'll have somebody hit by the door to collect them. You keep the this, this smaller piece. Turn in the larger piece to us. If you say you're not ready, take it home. Pray about it. Talk with your family. I will tell you, if you can only give a dollar, it is better to give a dollar a week, a dollar a month, whatever it is, because... God can multiply that. Look what he did with the fish and the, and the bread, right? And I will tell you, as I have been around the world with the army, that our American dollar can go further out in some of these countries than it does here. So don't think that only your dollar is too little. The kids do BGMC where they just put drop whatever coins they have. And God multiplies that to touch lives. The youth have have speed of light where they give and it provides ways of touching lives in other ways. Again, our emphasis here at Church of Bradgate is on missions. Reaching our world, discipling people, not just getting them saved, but discipling them. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. Lord, I praise you for Yohan and his family whose destiny was changed, life touched by missionaries who said, yes, I will go to this place.
that is war-torn and dangerous and, and live and share the gospel with those people. I will help people know who feel they're not good enough to find that in you they are good enough. Someone's been called to go and I encourage I ask you to encourage them to quickly get to that field that you've called them to go to, to touch those lives. Others of us are called to be the ones who finance them to go, to provide the opportunity because you haven't called us to go. So I ask Heavenly Father that you would quicken our hearts to the to give into missions that lives around this world will be touched and changed for you. Show us what is best and how best to serve you with our giving. Lord, I praise you and thank you. For the missionaries we have, Lord, the ones we pray for every week, every one of our missionaries touch them today encourage their heart Lord if they are feeling like they're not meeting the need show them that their time and effort is not wasted bring a yoan into their lives that will say thank you because of you my life was changed by Jesus Lord, we ask that you would go with each one today as they go out. That their lives will be changed and they will touch the lives of those out in their community. For your word says to go in our community and then through the uttermost parts of the world. Let us be willing to share our faith, our hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. As pastor says, by noon tomorrow, God will give you an opportunity. Are you willing to take that opportunity and change somebody's life like Yohan's life was changed? And touch them. Lord bless you and keep you. Have an awesome week. We'll see you Wednesday. This week we have VBS for you parents, so you have a reprieve. Uh, on Wednesday, Pastor Emily's going to lead it. So I'm excited about seeing what she brings forth for us. God bless.